Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 52. Uh, 52 means we've been going for two years, uh, officially two years. So it's our second birthday today. Uh, really excited. I didn't think we ever would... Uh, you know, get to where we're at, but really, really proud of this podcast. We have some fantastic guests over the years, the last two years, and uh, hopefully we have many, many more years uh, going forward. Uh, this week, we have uh, myself, Michael. We have Mark and Sarah. Uh, Gladys is out right now. And we also have a guest, Shai Amar, who's here to talk to us about Microsoft Defender for Containers. But before we get to Shai, uh, let's have a lap around the news. Uh, Mark, why don't you kick things off? So we're uh, actually getting ready for build and, and RSA. Um, so not a whole lot of specific news. So thought I'd take the opportunity to sort of reinforce some, you know, just ongoing critical best practices uh, around, you know, when, when we look at the, the, the most damaging attacks that are out there, it's, it's still unfortunately ransomware, which are really extortion attacks. And so just want to make sure that um, folks had a current perspective on that, which is, you know, consistently focus on backups first, uh, make sure that you can back up the systems that matter and that you can restore them quickly, uh, being the much more important part. What we've learned there is, you know, it's, it's really a team sport um, between security and IT and business folks, because the only people that can answer the question of if everything is down today, what do you need running tomorrow morning first? Um, that's the business folks. And then what does that translate to in terms of specific systems and, and technical assets, et cetera? Well, that's your IT team. And then how do you best protect those against the kind of attacks we're seeing? Well, that's the security team. And so, you know, really going through that process, working with your business and IT partners and, and security uh, in there is super, super critical to sort of, you know, make sure that you are able to recover quickly. And then the the next step for it, which also applies in you know any other kind of attack as well to, to reduce the damage, is of course privilege access. Um, you can do a lot more damage as an attacker with admin account than you can with a standard user account. The, uh, the uh, securing privilege access, we do have that full end-to-end -end strategy, plan, technology, and specific steps outlined on how to protect your most important, most impactful um, technical IT accounts like global admins, enterprise admins, domain admins, and the like, as well as your other privileged and sensitive uh, roles like developers, like uh, Swift um, terminal uh, terminals where effectively people you know make financial transactions, maybe trading terminals, et cetera, depending on your business. Um, so those uh, super high impact things um, are also covered by that privileged access guidance. And that's just the AKMS slash SPA or SPA, as we like to call it for securing privileged access is out there. Okay, so I guess it's my turn. Kind of the same as Mark. Um, it's a little bit quiet on the news front because we're leading up to RSA. So there's going to be lots of news in the next few weeks. I also apologize if I sound stuffy because I got COVID. We don't all record in the same room, by the way, so <laughs> I'm not giving anyone COVID. Um, definitely a couple of things. Obviously, it would be wrong if I didn't talk about my baby Sentinel. Uh, we've got uh, a couple of uh, public previews uh, which have come out. We've got similar incidents, so 
when you raise an incident in Sentinel, it will now also suggest similar incidents, whether they've been closed um, or just anything that we've seen. So that might be, you know, it will help you see if you've got other incidents that might be part of a larger attack story. Um, the other thing, uh, I don't know, Michael or Mark, if you have done this yet, but um, this week just gone, I did my SC100 exam in beta, Microsoft Security Architect. Uh, because it's in beta, I haven't got my result yet, but fingers crossed I pass it first time. Go and check that out uh, if you're interested, um, if you're keen on your Microsoft certs, because that's a pretty new one that's definitely, I think, uh, a lot of people will be wanting to take. But um, if you've never taken a beta exam on, in Microsoft land, you don't get your results straight away. You get them a little bit later. Um, so that's always worth bearing in mind. Hey, it's funny you should bring that up about SC100 because you and I also did our AZ500 refresh, right? Roughly the same time. We did. Yeah. We actually, for those of you who don't know, we actually did our AZ500, which is the security services or something, Azure Security Services. We did it the same week without even knowing that each other had taken the exam the same week. I barely passed, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, knowing Sarah, she probably aced it. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, but now that it's been a couple of years or something, well, I don't even know how long it is, uh, you have to have it refreshed. Um, so I'm going to tell you right now, if you have AZ500, do not let it lapse. The refresh is actually dead, dead simple. Compared to the exam, it's probably two orders of magnitude easier. All you need to do is just go to the Microsoft Learning page. I'll put a link in the show notes and click all the way through, see if you're eligible for the refresh. And if you are, you'll be given like a little sort of learning path. Go through the learning path and at the end will be a what I thought was actually the, like a test test, you know, just a sort of a sample test. Turns out, no, that's actually the real thing. And uh, later that evening, I got an email saying, congratulations, you've refreshed your AZ500. I thought, oh, man, that was that was way easy. So, um, yeah, do not do not let it lapse. I, I am literally not kidding. It is two orders of magnitude easier than the exam. The exam's horrible. Is that similar to your thoughts as well, Sarah? On the, I don't know, what's it called? Refresh? I don't even know what it's called. Yeah, I can't remember what exactly how it's phrased, but I totally agree. Uh, and actually, it's also the same for some of the other Microsoft certs out there. I know for my Azure Architect, um, and I think it's AZ, I think it's something like 303 and 304 nowadays. Definitely do your refresh because the refresh is very, very easy compared to... Uh, the the real thing. Um, it will take you not very long at all. And and just as as Michael said, when I uh, when I did my first refresh, I thought I was going to have to sit and do you know at least partially a, a whole exam again. But no, it's it's much much easier. So you yeah, I'll I'll just back up what he said. Don't let it lapse. Do the refresh. You get lots of reminders so you know you get like 90 days 60 days 30 days so you know make make sure you do it so much easier than doing the exam again all right uh, now i got that out of the way let's uh, talk about my news i only have a couple of items actually it's funny yeah like you two i was looking at the news i'm like man the security news is light and then i realized when mark said it this morning yeah that's why it's you know rsa is coming up and um the build conference is coming up next week as well which you know quite normally we keep big big announcements for those kinds of events so that kind of makes sense so i literally only have two items um, item number one is um, as your virtual machines in the dcs version 3 series um, now have um, extended uh, coverage so they're now available in australia east japan east south central us and southeast asia 
Um, these are the virtual machine types that support confidential computing. Um, so they have Intel uh, SGX or software guard extensions, uh, CPUs in uh, in the VMs, so they can be used for confidential compute. So, for example, products like Azure SQL Database um, can use it for uh, always encrypted with secure enclaves. So the part of the query query engine runs inside of the secure enclave. So that's really cool to see. Huge, huge, huge fan of confidential compute VMs. So that's good to see. The second one, so we now have, oh, by the way, that was in, that's in public preview for those new new regions. The uh, in, uh, generally available now, we have Azure Arc enabled servers support for private endpoints. So this allows you to manage your Windows and Linux servers from Azure without sending network traffic over the public internet. Uh, so if you've got these Azure Arc enabled servers, you know, which you know, on-prem, for example, uh, you don't. The traffic does not go over the public internet. This is really great to see. I know a lot of customers are, you know, huge fans, especially when it comes to sensitive data, even if it's encrypted, just not sending it over the internet at all. Um, so this is great to see as well. And that's kind of basically all I have. So with that, uh, let's turn our attention to our guest. Uh, this week we have Shai Amar, who's here to talk to us about Microsoft Defender for Containers. Hey, Shai, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, would you like to spend a moment and just give, a, give our listeners a bit of background? Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you all. As you mentioned, my name is Shai Amar, and I'm working as a program manager at Microsoft these days. Actually, I'm coming from the Microsoft Customer Experience Engineering team uh, for Microsoft Defender for Cloud. So what we talk about today is actually one of the plans that we have in the Defender for Cloud product, which is the Defender for Container. I'm working at Microsoft over seven years for now. So I will start the journey as a customer engineer and then move to a role of the CSA, Cloud Solution Architect. I was started with platform and in these days focusing security area. So actually the team that uh, I'm coming and working, we are helping a lot of our customers with deployment of specific Defender for Cloud plans, improving some secure scores and even being their voice uh, inside the engineering team, like capturing feedbacks and sharing that feedback. Uh, within our product management, and I'm very happy to be here and excited to actually talk about this topic. I had a couple of questions around, because um, like basically a container is a very stripped down VM that you sort of attach to an application, so you can kind of move it between infrastructure and slide it. If is it, Would that be kind of a good, accurate description? Yeah, actually, that's a good one to start with because uh, sometimes when we are referring to uh, the container plans or either talking about the container security, uh, like uh, or unlike the traditional compute, right, the containerized application or elastic spawn and repeatedly, so images that are actually involving in that phase are immutable and containers are short-lived. So most of the time, customers that are asking about this topic, uh, they're really concerned about the security pipeline. Where should they start the journey with? With that says, actually, every time we're talking about this topic, we must understand what is the security landscape, right? What are the threats that we have in the Kubernetes, or either if it's native or unnative one? Uh, like you asked, Mark, I want to highlight two things here. So first of all, as part of this journey, when customer actually start uh, and onboarding some of the Kubernetes, either it could be AKS or even like on-prem one or multi-cloud, most of the time they are asking them, where should I start with? It's like, okay, I have now cluster. Uh, which security threat landscape I should tackle? Is it something that I need to do scan or even research or, or just ask myself if it's something that I need to cover against any kind of matrix or kind of thing? So what we have done recently, we actually announced a new plan 
and this is actually the topic uh, for today, uh, we announced a new plan which is called the Microsoft Defender for Container. What we try to do is actually merge two uh, uh, areas. One of them is the Kubernetes and the other is the Container Registry, which can we discuss later. So the major one of this is actually to collaborate. Uh, what Microsoft has done is she took a part in the center project. And uh, the, that project was contributed to the knowledge that the company gained in the field with the container security. And uh, Microsoft Unparalleled Visibility actually uh, gave that metrics, if everyone is familiar with the MITRE, so we collaborate and expand the, that matrix uh, to be part of the uh, container plans that we have today. So now offering a lot of uh, capabilities around threat detection. Um, but this is actually to highlight your question about where we could start or, or maybe uh, just ask ourselves uh, what or where we should start with. So we must aware, first of all, in which stage we are choosing, like if it's native, unnative, it's one thing, but really understand about the mitre and the, and the, actually the threat landscape that involving. And so what we are having today is more giving a sense of that coverage inside the product. Um, Having said that, I just want to highlight two things here. One is actually, if if you're not familiar with Defender for Cloud, is more about uh, a solution that we have today to give us also capability around the cloud security posture management and a cloud workload protection solution. But let's focus, uh, like you mentioned, Mark, earlier, about the area of containers. That's sort of an interesting distinction because when you use something like Azure Kubernetes Services, like AKS, you know, a lot of that sort of shared responsibility is on the cloud provider. But if you're hosting, you know, container services on a VM in Azure or on-prem or AWS or wherever, um, you essentially have more to monitor and worry about that isn't being secured by the cloud provider, correct? Yeah, absolutely, and, and that's a great uh, topic uh, as well. So, yeah, most of the time when customer actually on board an AKS, uh, the native management cluster, like you mentioned, by the way, it could be AKS or EKS for AWS or GKE, mm -hmm. and we are covered, by the way, the, all of them today in the new plan, which is great because nice. we announced recently, yeah, also supportability for that. This is relevant to multi-cloud. But yes, this is like the model of shared responsibility, right? So most of the time when you on board, you are having two areas which, which you should focus on. One is the control plane, and this is actually the area when you on board a native Kubernetes cluster, you have the coverage from that infra uh, from your cloud provider. So most of the time you're thinking, okay, I have the control plane, it's covered by the vendor, I don't need to take care of a lot of. And there is the other, which we call the data plane, right? So the data plane is actually where you are most of the time thinking about, okay, now I published an application, it's now, it's alive. Okay, how should I tackle this? Because this is the place where the shared responsibility model is actually coming to a decision when you need to understand more about the landscape what I've mentioned earlier, the threat landscape of the managed Kubernetes, right? So we should focus in, in some area to understand more about this threat landscape. One of the area when we always try to highlight on the control plane is the API. API is actually the A in the Kubernetes cluster, even if it's the managed. This is where the place when we have uh, the control plane API, and it could be valuable for misconfigured images. For example, we can deploy something that is coming from untrusted repository. 
And then you can ask yourself, okay, that's fine. I can confirm that everything is coming from a secured uh, repo and, and it's like trusted and everything seems far, far so good. So what could be like happen from uh, attack uh, techniques uh, variation? So it could be a variety of things. Like, for example, if someone wants to communicate with a cluster, even myself, it could be exposed to some compromised account, right? Or even like traffic that could be unauthorized. And that's come the place when we co collaborate with the understood of control plane in the cluster on, on the data plane. So even that, we can do things that can make uh, harmful or exposed to some malicious stuff. Let's say, for example, I need to manage this cluster. So I need to do kind of... Uh, uh, NF capability like management, installing Kubeflow, etc. And then I forgot to close the management port. So it's like exposed to, to the internet and kind of stuff. So this kind of variation of things could happen daily, right? Even for the ops and the other teams, uh, other stakeholders in the team. So we need to take care from that point and really understand good about the, the landscape, the threat landscape, uh, even for managed Kubernetes. And we can go separately to understand about AKS, EKS on the other, because every one of them we can cover separately. But most of the threat landscape would be the same in the manager uh, on shared responsibility uh, model, is to understand about the common attack techniques. Most of them will be coming from the volatile images that could be exploited. The other could be even like uh, a backdoor containers or even access to exposed application. So this could be a variety of stuff that could fall to two areas, what we call the control plane and the data plane as well. Gotcha. So it sounds like there's quite a variety of attacks that are possible. I'm curious which ones are sort of the top ones that we see the most um, that uh, organizations would need to worry about, particularly in that sort of you know, SaaS-oriented thing where the cloud provider takes care of the control plane. Yeah, that's a good one. So yeah, we see a lot of them, but actually we can even give a, uh, an example of a real worldwide attack range uh, illustration that uh, you know happened recently. So one of them was a crypto mining, uh, crypto mining attack. Uh, actually, in the in the containers the environment, uh, they aren't new at all. But what we saw in the in the Microsoft uh, Defender for Cloud solution, we regularly detect a wide range of mining activities uh, that run inside the containers. And unusually, uh, those activities are running inside uh, volatile containers, such as web application. We already know this could be kind of uh, known vulnerabilities. And recently, uh, just for an example, um, there was a new crypto mining campaign that targets specifically Kubernetes environment. And actually, you can ask yourself, okay, what is the different uh, and what differs this attack from other crypto mining attack? And what we saw here, it's, it's scale, meaning with only two hours of malicious containers, only two hours, there was a huge deployment. Uh, tens of Kubernetes cluster was deployed. And actually, the containers, uh, when we look deeply, was running, running uh, uh, an images from a public repository. It was the Monero miner one. And this image actually ran an XM, uh, XM rig. But it's, it's not to understand really uh, the type of the miner. It's more about to understand the capability of the attack and the scale that it could be uh, affected because rapidly we saw growth from the scaling, uh, which could be a very popular, you know, some open source library that can use the Kubernetes cluster 
of that example. By the way, we saw from that telemetry uh, that uh, the Kubernetes was deployed from uh, a public repository, and we able to figure that. Uh, same actor that deployed the crypto mining cont container also enumerated the cluster resource. So what is can done in Kubernetes, okay, cluster is one thing, what about the things that I really take care of? So we saw that uh, it was include the Kubernetes secrets, this could might lead to exposure of connection string, passwords, and other secrets. So when you're talking about cluster or Kubernetes uh, specific for this kind of attack, it's more about not just using the, the compute, is also getting some sensitivity data from it. Can you talk a little bit about the features of Defender for Containers? I mean, we're talking a lot about the attacks, and I love hearing about attacks because they're always interesting. But like, what what sort of controls and features do we have within the product that would help mitigate these uh, types of attacks? Yeah, that that's a great one, Sarah. So actually, today with the Microsoft Defender for Container, we are protecting uh, multi-cloud and hybrid container deployments. Meaning by that that we are focusing in in multiple stages. One we call this an hardening, and you can ask if okay, what, what should I think about hardening? So hardening is more about the place where you continually assess and improve your security posture of the containerized environments and workload. So it's like asking yourself a questions, okay, did I do everything that is related to my API? Did I make sure that I have deployed containers only for trusted repository that I trust? That's kind of developer, right? Can do some of deployment around. And then I want to force things. I want to make sure that no one will do kind of the deployment in, in the early stage in the CI CD pipeline, for example. So this is the the um, one of the major uh, aspects that we are handling. And the other one is the vulnerability management. So you probably know that in containers, there's a lot of usage in, with uh, with public repos sometimes and open source repos. And sometimes you can deploy things which coming with uh, vulnerable stuff. So you need a great, uh, I would say, visibility and capability, and that's what we do as well. So we can reduce the attack surface by continuous scanning. What we do today, we actually scan those images. So if you uh, publish or either pulling or pushing some container images to your repo. So we actually scan them and we can identify and manage the vulnerabilities and give you uh, the awareness of that uh, vulnerabilities uh, in that area. The other stuff which we, we should uh, focus also, and we mentioned earlier, even uh, on the question when Mark was raised, is more about the advanced threat detection, right? So we also want to have capabilities about the runtime threats. So when I actually have a cluster that is running pods, and container beneath, I uh, uh, need to have capabilities such as alert and insight. So what we have done today, we are correlating this alert and giving like uh, correlation with the MITRE uh, um, tactics. So we have over 60 uh, alerts that are described well in the in the documentation. And then come the place, okay, I have AKS. This is something uh, uh, from, from Azure. What about else? So we are covering today the multi-cloud support, which means that we have coverage today also for uh, AWS, the EKS cluster, and also for GCP, uh, which is the GKE. And what we have done actually to achieve that, we are, uh, give customers the capabilities to onboard uh, CSPM and the CWP plan, which stands for Cloud Workload Protection, based on our connectors. So you can actually connect your uh, Azure uh, Defender for Cloud solution also to uh, give capability to scan those uh, uh, Kubernetes cluster within AWS and, and GCP. 
uh, and this is uh, like the, the tools that we have today. And of course, capabilities like uh, deployment at scale. So if you have a variety of cluster across your subscription environment, we give you capabilities to do this via policy, uh, Azure policy that you can sign based on some initiative and, and just just give you a sense of how you can achieve that at scale, meaning that you don't need to mess like with the, each one of the cluster to have our solution. The yeah. other thing I wanted to ask you, Shai, was you touched on it earlier, talking about container registries, because, well, as you quite rightly pointed out, having uh, like a clean container registry with good images in is, is really important. And of course, if you just download things from random repos, <laughs> you, you don't know what could be in there. But exactly. um, do we have any other, um, are there any other like specific container registry controls or things that we can do to you know help secure those because it's such a weak point for containers yeah absolutely sarah thank you for pointing that because it's really to understand about what i need to configure to have this capability so today i i can say i i like to use the acronym of zero configuration because if you enable today the microsoft defender for container plan in the solution we will automatically discover and onboarding your acr acr stands for azure uh, container registry that you have today so what will happen every time that you will uh, push pull or either import like you mentioned, we will do the scanning for you. So if something will come vulnerable inside, so you will be able to give uh, and just notify inside the recommendation blade about the vulnerability that we have found. And it's like having a bird eye, right? View for all registry vulnerabilities. So you can, for example, uh, make some steps to block those deployment in early stages. What I mean like stop this at early stages, let's think about organization. They have a pipeline, they have a landscape, right? So we assume that if you are starting like in a dev stage or a dev landscape, you want to figure out what you have deployed or misconfigure deploy, for example, for untrusted. And if it's valuable, you want to stop it, right? You don't want to be in a situation when you deploy some stuff like to the production and then you will fall like in a state, what we called in a, in an active mode, right? You don't have capabilities to do some active stuff because we know we can never be like and an go first than the attacker. So that capability, uh, Sarah, with scanning, pulling, and even importing things to the container registry give us uh, a more like a bird eye view and just thinking from the landscape where we should focus like in the stage of the deployment life cycle. Because when we're talking about Kubernetes most of the time, this, this is something that we are starting from the dev stage and want to be in production like uh, most more understand about uh, those risks. With the runtime itself, we are continue scanning the running images. So we also give that visibility uh, and uh, of running images and vulnerabilities. So let's summarize this. So in one end, we want like to have a, a scanning, right? A scanning mechanism tool that will scan us the registry, make sure that we are highlighting everything that is vulnerable. And of course, then we can reach out and say, look, you have deployed something is vulnerable. Please make sure that is not, uh, we will not allow this to be part of our next uh, landscape, like say integration, pre-prod, et cetera, pre-production, for example. So when we, sh we want to make sure this is something that we clear out. On the other end, we can uh, be like more falsely, meaning by falsely, we can actually deny things. We can tell, okay, we are not allowing you to deploy anything that is coming from untrusted location. That's the only repos that we allow you to deploy from. 
And that's we are in stage of more like strict and even like sometimes block stuff, don't allow the developer to, to do this kind of uh, a pushing or, or even importing some stuff to the to the repo. But it's really depend on the strategy we, we want to have. Because if we want to develop first, sometimes we can block it like on, on the first stage, but sometimes we, we need to merge right into align to the life cycle. Because this always will be the complex when you ask yourself, which things I should do first? Like, do I need to go with deny or should I do scanning and then like stop it uh, at early stages? So this is like in overall what we have today in the vulnerability management scanning area. Awesome. I've got one last question about container registries. Does Defender for Containers cover other, um, does it cover generic container registries? Is it just Microsoft? Just because, of course, there are lots of different types of container registries out there. I know it does multi-cloud, but I just wanted to double check with registries. Yeah, that, that's a great question. It's also raised up a lot from uh, a lot from our customers. So today, yeah, we are supporting the ACR that is native in Azure, but we have a fully description and fully documentation around what is like on uh, on supported today. What I can tell you that if you want like to uh, exclude it or either trust by other uh, like uh, repositories, so what we uh, can give today is like using some uh, policy, um, Azure policy uh, definition that you can uh, strict to specific uh, uh, registries that you can allow. So let's for ex say, for example, that I want to allow specific uh, uh, registry that I want to allow so I can use a kind of... Uh, of Azure policy to restrict that as well. But native, uh, yeah, this is currently what we have, and this is fully described in the in the official doc uh, that we have in the different container. We can share that uh, link later as well. So I was working with a customer just recently, uh, an insurance customer, um, on secure scores, uh, which is part of Microsoft, Microsoft Defender for Cloud. They wanted to get their secure score up and sort of manage the secure score moving forward. One item that was flagged, frankly, sort of terrified some of us, was Azure policy for Gatekeeper. Can you comment a little bit about what that is and why it's important? One thing that we found is once we'd enabled it, that we uh, we had issues inside of Kubernetes. Uh, there were configuration settings, but they could only be discovered because we had the Azure policy for Gatekeeper. So would you like to just sort of comment on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for uh, pointing this, uh, Michael. This is a good one because what we have changed recently, and actually uh, we want to be more native, right? In the end, when customer deploy any kind of AKS cluster, either way it could be EKS or GKE, most of the time uh, when we're talking about uh, Gatekeeper or even the daemon set, for example, those are capabilities that are, are building into the, the, the cluster. So meaning that uh, today we have... Uh, when we are talking about uh, native deployment that we have done, so like the Defender for Container, if you enable it today, we're actually using a native deployment way. And what's the meaning behind of that? Meaning that we are actually deploying two things, the Defender Profile, which is the Kubernetes daemon set. Uh, what it provides us is provide us the runtime protection and collect security signal. So then you ask yourself, okay, why I need it at all? So if you remember when I explained earlier, when you want to detect things that happen inside the cluster, um, meaning that in the nodes themselves, we need to collect signal, right, and events. Then we choose to use the daemon set because daemon set is more native to how cluster is built. So in that area, I think it was good and was understand. By the way, we're using that uh, 
having uh, also using capability which is called eBPF without going any deeply on that if uh, if uh, you're not familiar. So eBPF is more like a technology that origins within Linux kernel. So it's not something that is related to Microsoft Defender for container. It's more about capabilities like in the Linux to run sandboxes program in operating uh, system kernel. It's used safely and efficient to extend capabilities of the kernel without requiring any kind of kernel change source code or even load module, which is great. On the other end, you mentioned the gatekeeper, which is the Azure policy add-on. And then what could happen? So what we are doing with the gatekeeper, we enable you to apply at scale capabilities on the data plane policies and enforce them. For example, frictionless, we can uh, use what we call the fixed remediation to enable uh, uh, that policy add-on. It could give you a lot of benefits when you're hardening even the cluster, like having things like do not allow deploy, uh, something that is coming from untrusted location. So I must understand for the case that you have described, uh, when you're expanding this policy is also things that you need to aware from the recommendation that we provide you inside the solution. So what I would provide like uh, suggesting to do first is just go through the recommendation and make sure that everything aware is aligned to the deployment stage. Because when we're talking about uh, uh, misconfiguration, sometimes we marked everything that is not configured correctly as an unhealthy run. So you can be uh, sure that this something is not configured correctly. You have it in an unhealthy state uh, besides the unhealthy. So my recommendation to do, if you enable this kind of enable, make sure you have enabled the Defender for Container Plan on your subscription level, and then look at the cluster and make sure you have the two uh, capabilities that we mentioned like enable. The one is the Defender Profile and the other is the Azure Policy add-on, which is the, the one that extends the Gatekeeper. And beneath, you have the full recommendation inside the cluster just to make sure you are fit and aligned. Hey, just real quick, can you just explain really briefly, just for those who are not aware, just what Gatekeeper actually is and, what, you know, and its importance in the Kubernetes environment? Yeah, absolutely. When we actually um, talk about gatekeeper, is not something that we are calling in in um, Azure. It's more about to understand again the the struct of Kubernetes. So when we talk about uh, Kubernetes uh, and, and and gatekeeper, is more about understanding out uh, what is can really uh, provide us. So when we're talking about uh, gatekeeper, it giving us capabilities to allow and deny policies inside the cluster. So thinking about like something we call this a, a admission controller, for example, you want to do things like deny things or even do some management inside the cluster. So one thing that you can use is, is actually the capabilities of admission control which is part of the gatekeeper. So this is, is just a brief, right? So this is not something that we uh, uh, say in general. So if you think about what is gatekeeper at all, so it actually allows the uh, Kubernetes cluster administrator actually to implement policies. So it's all about policies in the end. So you want to ensure compliance. You want to ensure something like is related to best practices. Uh, use some uh, policy agent to validate the admission control. And then you say, okay, what could I achieve with admission control? Like I mentioned, you can deny things to be happen at first, for example, from an untrusted location and things like that. So most of the thing when we're using that capability is give us a lot of benefit because it's already there and we can use a lot of uh, uh, compliance and easier ensure that our cluster is really aligned to what we called to our baseline of security 
threat and and let's get that one mentioned earlier according to the baseline we want to achieve so actually for those of you um who are not aware so shy just mentioned ebpf uh, i put a link in the show notes um ebpf is a it's an isolation technology it's uh, it was born in linux but it's available in other operating systems including windows um, so I'll put a link in there. It's actually really interesting technology. By the way, for those of you looking to work out what eBPF stands for, it stands for absolutely nothing whatsoever. Um, so don't <laughs> go trying to find out what the acronym means. <laughs> on, on the topic of Azure Policy for Gatekeeper, so I mentioned you know working with this customer, and um, one thing they noticed straight away is that their ingestion rates into log analytics um, were pretty elevated after they turned this on. And so one thing that we, uh, when we're talking to the customer, we looked at their log analytics workspaces and we found that they were using the basically pay-as-you-go consumption model, which is by far the most expensive and you should never be using it um, <laughs> except for like small experiments. You know, that's about it. So is any area, you know, is any sort of improvements that you guys are making in this area to, you know, to make log analytics ingestion a little bit more uh, palatable? Yeah, actually, we have done um, with the new plan. We announced uh, actually we removed the dependency on MMA. So this is uh, a lot of customer, you know, share the feedback with us that the MMA caused them uh, some complication when they onboard the cluster. So today with the new plan, uh, we are not rely. We don't have this dependency uh, to have the MMA as part and of the provisioning. So and M- is, an MMA is Microsoft. Ah, uh, sorry, yeah, right. yeah, that's exactly. all good. All good. Yeah, 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 yeah. The log analytics one. Yeah, you're right. So <laughs> I use this uh, like a short acronym. Yeah, but you refer to the log analytics. Uh, but on the injunction way, you're right. So sometimes uh, a customer connect right uh, the the Defender for Cloud solution or either other uh, SimSock solution, right? Like Sentinel, for example, or third party. So the injunction is really depends on on actually. Uh, the tier that you declare, but what what I've mentioned earlier regarding uh, uh, this kind of uh, integration that we have today, so today the dependency of MMA is not there. But when we're talking about ingestion and other stuff, yeah, it should be like measured, right? So we need to fully understand what is the use case because today we have a, a connector that we can connect. Uh, uh, to any kind of SIM solution, and it's rely on the workspace, right, on the log analytic workspace. So, yeah, it should be measured. This, these things uh, could happen if you're not aware from uh, the aspect that you want to trigger or monitor, right? So we just uh, need to make sure that everything is done from the perspective of understand uh, which intention we are talking about. Is more related to alert or, or, or something similar? Because in the end, uh, you can always uh, make things like, you know, um, make sure about the capacity or measurements about uh, log analytics. Uh, two things you need to remind is also ingestion and retention, right? So there's two aspects you need to consider. But uh, that's that, that's a good thing because the dependency was really, you know, help a lot. The removal of the dependency helped a lot uh, to our customers as well to, to, you know, to continue the journey with the containers. But yes, you need to keep in mind also on the ingestion and the retention uh, from that uh, stage, which is another topic. Yeah, so just to make sure I get it right. So the Microsoft monitoring agent, removing that reliance, does that reduce the the quantity of data going into the log analytics workspaces? 
Uh, yeah, I will say, but it's need to be uh, confirmed against the environment because we use it as a dependency to onboard the plan. So I'm not sure okay. if the issue was referring to uh, injection data that is raw data, you know, like security alert and etc. Or it's more rely about this dependency. If it was related to this dependency, for example, so yeah, it could remove that cast. But if it's more about the amount of the injection that they are receiving, this is another topic that should consider, you know, measured and be sure they are uh, aligned their log analytic workspace with the retention and of course the injunction right against the tiers that you mentioned and not use pay as you go and yeah and i really want to stress that so one thing that we learned from this customer was um, first of all you know do review your log analytics workspaces and again this has got nothing to do with microsoft defender for containers this is just general good practice yeah so look at what you're using make sure it's the cost of you know the more cost efficient one and again to your point now, you don't need to necessarily retain stuff in a log analytics workspace you know, forever. Um, you can certainly offload it to things like Azure Data Explorer. Uh, and there's also new models coming out for you know, sort of more cost-effective uh, workspaces that have a slower sort of access time. They're not really designed for ingestion. They're designed for querying and querying only. So yeah, so keep an eye on that. And also make sure that someone within the organization is just keeping an eye on making sure that all the appropriate log analytics workspaces, you know, are being sort of maintained. And there needs to be a plan, right? There needs to be someone focusing on the cost of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing yeah. we are using in the product, and you can probably, we can suggest the same, we providing some workbooks uh, that give you visualization on that area. So every kind of plan that you enable, and if you want to estimate uh, how it's going to cost if I use this and this, so today we leverage and have these capabilities inside the product. So this is something that you can use as well. But this is not something like uh, build everywhere, what, but for a variety of stuff that we have inside, it could help a lot uh, based on my experience with customers. Having kind of visualization view that is relied on workbook can be really advantage. Yeah, 100%. Hey, so do you have any, any sort of like, you know, sort of top couple of tips that you'd like to give people? Yeah, so actually, first of all, if you uh, have Kubernetes or any kind of them and you uh, don't know what is actually uh, based on your security landscape, uh, you, need, you can enable this plan and make sure that you are aware from the recommendation. Be sure that you are aware from the threat landscape that I mentioned earlier, because most of the time you will not be able to track any uh, application, right? Any kind of application that you have uh, everywhere. So this could give you a sense about the threat landscape and everything there. And the other stuff that I will uh, always like to mention is be sure that your cluster, either if it's native or it could be multi-cloud, no matter what, be sure that they are in healthy state from the secure posture way. It could be one thing to handle them proactive, right, and be inactive. That's my tips for that. All right. So if you had one final thought, like just one thought that you would leave people with, uh, what would it be? So my thought will be always know your environment, especially for containers. Don't think about like the same as as virtual machine. Just think about the more you need to understand is about your trend landscape as cover it all to understand more. You can use the Defender for Container to do that. And the other one is also know better about the trend landscape that is related to your specific Kubernetes environment. Hey, well, Shai, thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, I know that you're uh, incredibly busy, and I appreciate you taking the time, uh, spend time with us to go over this uh, this really cool product. Actually, for those of you not aware, there, there were actually there was actually two products, right? At one point, there was uh, Defender for Kubernetes and Defender for Containers, right? We sort of consolidated into into one. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 You're right. 
So again, yeah, so thanks again for joining. And to all our listeners out there, thank you for listening. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.